Good ideas are like red wine. They need time in the cellar for refinement. Here's where I keep mine. Welcome to 55 Degrees. Picking up where I left off last time and sharing my stories and experiences with dreams and visions, I'm very cautious with this subject because of all the misunderstanding about them. True, dreams can be weird and hard to make sense of, and many have misused them and uh, overlooked their intended first purposes. Dreams are for the dreamer, meant to shape the dreamer's life. I took a tour through YouTube one day and followed a trail of people who were touting their recent dream or vision about a sure and certain Donald Trump presidential victory. I don't doubt these people had the dream that they did, and I certainly don't doubt their sincerity, but they turned out to be wrong, and so now what? Dreams are for the dreamer, and without sitting with the dream or vision for a time, it won't have its full an intended effect. A dream needs time to shape the dreamer. A dream comes at a price. Just ask Joseph. It says of Daniel after he had the vision, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. When God gives a dream, there's always a cost involved in carrying it. There is a weight to it, and that weight is either burdensome or glorious, depending on your perspective. The people who dreamed of a Trump victory would have done better by holding it until now. And when they see that they were wrong, now they have a chance to take that back to the Spirit and ask what they missed. This would create another opportunity for the dream to shape the dreamer. My question to the Trump dreamer, who benefits from speaking out a dream that turns out to be wrong? How is that helpful? Even if Trump had won, who would have benefited from that foretelling? As it is, the one with the dream loses credibility because the dream was not sealed up for its right time. If you receive a dream or vision and don't allow it the time to do its internal intended work, there is a missed opportunity. Dreams are not a magic formula that allows you to escape from the work required. They are an opportunity to engage uniquely in a way that God wants to speak to you. They are incredibly personal and profoundly beautiful ways for you to connect to your Father's heart. This is the most important element of dreams and visions that is missing in the people I encounter who believe in this realm. As I shared in the past episode, I'm allowing a 20-year vision to shape me still today, and it has taken this long to feel the time is right to start talking about it publicly. Here's a dream sequence I want to share now to help give you an idea of a current encounter That is doing its work in me. I had a series of three dreams about two years ago that had longer term meaning, requiring me to hold these dreams close and pay attention to them. In the first dream, I was walking down a very straight, dry and dusty desert road. 
The road extended into the horizon with no bend or shift in its direction. There was no green in the picture. It was too dry and too hot for anything to grow. But here was me walking towards something unseen. On my shoulder was a large wooden cross, the kind you would imagine or have seen in movies. I was dragging it down this dirt road, slowly, but I was making progress. And around my waist were three canvas bags. They appeared to be filled with sand. The extra weight was fixed in place around my waist with a chain and a padlock. I hardly noticed it being there. Neither the cross nor the canvas bags prevented me from putting one foot in front of the other. And I recall I felt fine and my emotion was settled and calm. I was not worried about anything as I recall. This was how the dream opened up. And as I was walking, I felt someone come up behind me and surprise me. I turned to see it was Jesus with a huge smile on his face. He asked me how I was doing, and he usually does that in my dreams that involve him. He said, here, let me show you something. And he lifted the cross off my shoulders and dragged it to the side of the road and threw it in the ditch. He came back over to me and looked in me in the eye and said, now don't go back and pick that up. And he disappeared. That was dream number one. The second one came a few days later. This time, same road, same scene, same everything but the cross. I remember I was walking with a much quicker pace with the cross gone, but I still had the canvas bags chained around my waist. I still felt the same, not happy or sad, just making progress to this unknown destination, wherever it might be. At one point, I came upon a snake in the middle of the road. It was coiled up in a position that appeared it was ready to strike. I tried to go around it, but it was apparent it had no intention of letting me go further. So I stopped and thought about what my game plan was going to be to deal with this snake. As I stood in the center of the road, I looked up and I saw an eagle circling in the sky. With each loop, it dropped lower and lower in my direction. It suddenly turned and started a dive-bomb descent toward me and the snake. It swooped down and grabbed the snake by its head with its talons and flew back up higher into the sky. It went extremely high, but still in sight. And I watched as it dropped the snake from its apex of flight. And I saw it fall, writhing and tumbling down into a canyon out of sight. The eagle circled back around and headed straight toward me. It was coming directly at my head. So I reflexively held out my left arm and it landed on my forearm. In its beak was a key. Instinctively, I held out my hand and it dropped the key into my palm. The eagle spoke, hold on to that. You will use it often. And then it flew off and disappeared. I assumed that this was the key to the lock that held the three canvas bags in place. And I tried the key and the padlock opened. The bags fell to the ground and dissolved in a puff of dust. There was no remaining trace of the bags. The contents or the chains that bound them to me were gone. Everything disappeared. And I had the urge to run, and I did. And I started running down the road with my newfound lightness. And then I woke up. The third dream came a few months later. Again, same road, same scene, same everything, but the cross and the canvas bags were gone.
And now I'm jogging down the road. I'm no longer plodding and walking until I encounter a second snake. This time it was a cobra. It was the kind I saw in Bangkok at the International Red Cross exhibit. And I had the same emotion of being startled in the dream as I did in Thailand when the snake handlers spilled a bag of six cobras out of a burlap sack on the concrete in front of us. All us tourists took a big jump back. It was that same feeling seeing the second snake in the road. I remember one particular snake handler, however. He singled out a cobra and got down on his hands and knees to be eye-level with the snake, and he slowly crept toward the snake as it flared its, as it had flared its hood by now. And the snake handler was not to be intimidated, and as quick as lightning he grabbed the cobra by the back of the head and stood up to show the audience. I did not know whether to clap or to go find a toilet and relieve myself. It was fascinating and freaky. This memory was in my mind as I encountered my cobra in the dream. So I walked up to it and kicked it in in the head and watched it slither backwards. I reached down and grabbed it by the tail and began slapping it on the road like slinging a whip. The snake went lifeless and limp in my hand and I discarded it on the side of the road. I resumed jogging and then I woke up. Now let me walk you through this step by step. Remember, the dream is for the dreamer. I know that these are meant for me, so I write them down with as much detail as I've just described to you. Without a written record, I'm I'm less likely to extract the full effect the dream is intended to have. The second thing, then, is to ask for wisdom concerning the message and meaning. Sometimes this is quick and obvious, and others seem to have no resolution or clarity. This one came one at a time, and I asked the spirit for understanding, and he gave it. Dream number one was about my my marriage. The cross represented my dying wife and the weight I was carrying in the role of caregiver for her for so long. It was a burden. I I shouldered it willfully, but it was a burden nonetheless. And Jesus was telling me that there would come a day when that would be lifted off of me, And I was free from having to carry it any longer. Thus, he said, don't go back and pick it up. Whenever she died, I looked at my wedding ring and realized that the biggest promise I had ever made in my life was now complete. I didn't walk away from it. I stayed in through sickness and health. I vowed 30 years ago till death do us part. And it did. The cross was lifted and Jesus was there to lift it for me. Dream number two was about my tax debt. I had incurred a significant tax burden from my business closings and bankruptcy. Taxes are the one thing that doesn't go away with bankruptcy. Those were the canvas bags that weighed me down, but they did not impede me either. The snake represented the distractions that wanted to stand in my way of progress toward healing. One such impediment was her journal. I made the error of reading through some of them before after she died, and that was a big mistake. I did not need to see the way she felt toward me near the end. A friend told me to box those up, and I did. The eagle was the spirit sent to take care of the distraction, but also to bring me a key. Keys have always been important icons to me. I keep a ring of old keys by my chair 
is a symbol of freedom. Most locks can be set in place without a key, but they can't be opened without one. Keys are necessary to open and provide access, and I was about to receive a key that would unlock the canvas bags and the tax debt would be gone in one swift action. Dream number three, the second snake, was a little more straightforward. It represented unfound fears that I believe had power over me. And like the hood of the cobra, it tries to appear bigger and more threatening than it really is. I possess the power to take it up by the tail and whip it to death and carry on. As I ask for wisdom, and as I gain clarity, I then share the dream with a couple of trusted people. Some people would say, damn, Shin, that's some weird stuff. And those are the people who I don't need to share it with any further. They might be trusted friends, but I need allies when it comes to discerning dreams and visions because they are so personal and require vulnerability. All it takes is for one person to say, well, that sounds stupid. And you spend the next several days second-guessing yourself. When you share a dream, make sure it is with someone who has a category for what you are expressing. Even if the friend doesn't have the first idea about dreams, if they are open to you and will hold them for you, that's a good friend to have. No need to share it with people who think you have a screw loose. You want somebody who can help carry it with you. One such friend of mine goes by the name Man of God. He not only holds the dream for me, he will use it on my behalf. On one particular session over cigars and whiskey, he said, remember in the dream where it says, now don't go back and pick that up? He said twice in this conversation, you went back to pick it up. Stop doing that. See, he used my dream to reinforce its message to me. That's a good friend. When you get a dream, write it down and ask for clarity. Share them with a trusted friend and allow them to shape your experience. There were some major themes in my life embedded in those three dreams. Fear, grief, roadblocks, perception versus reality. And this is how I use them to direct my thoughts and how to process them. I now have a mental picture that I can carry with me and refer back to over and over again. In my office, I have a poster from the 1989 San Diego Marathon. I ran this a few months before I got married. The poster serves as an icon for my memory of that race. I was in the best shape of my life. I had never trained better. But during the race, around mile eight... I developed a cramp in my right foot that would not go away. It got worse with every step. The pain crept up my leg. It got so bad that I had to walk a few times. But I knew if I could get to mile 21, I'd be okay. Because I told my friend Bruce to meet me there and go the last five miles with me. I wanted him there in case I needed help, and I did. My leg was in unbelievable pain. But when I saw Bruce on the side of the course, I knew I was going to cross the finish line. He helped me through it. He distracted my mind from the pain. He walked when I needed to. He told me good job at the end. He saw me through. Instead of a PR, it was a PW, personal worst. How do I go from being in the best shape of my life to running my worst time ever? That's why the poster is important. 
The marathon is a metaphor for life. How many times have you heard it said or maybe said yourself, life's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Stuff happens that isn't explainable, like the cramp in my foot. I might limp through it, but I'm still planning on finishing, and finishing is much more certain if I don't go it alone. In that way, the poster acts like a dream. It conjures up mental images that I can use to encourage myself at other times when I need inspiration. I can refer back to it over and over again. And now I can tell a story that will be easier for you to remember and identify with. This is when a dream can become for someone other than just the dreamer. After the dream has been sealed up for the proper time, it can be then shared externally, which is why I'm sharing it now, because I've sealed it up. I let it shape me, and I've harvested its fruit, and I can pass that on to others for them to glean from it. Here's a dream that I'm still holding that I don't have clarity for, but I thought it would be a good example of a dream that's still in the process of understanding. It was a dream about four years ago. Obama was still president. I was in a tour group being guided through a college campus in an old city. It reminded me of King's College in Dublin, but that detail isn't significant. The guide walked and explained some of the architecture of the old buildings and the stories of lore surrounding them. As we meandered through the campus, we walked by a section of residence halls. I was in the back of the group, bringing up the rear, when I looked to my right and standing in front of the entrance of a dorm was President Obama. He was lacing up his running shoes, getting ready to go out jogging. Upon seeing him, my first reaction was shock. Where is his security detail? Who's protecting him? Why is he out here all alone? These were my first thoughts. No one else in the tour group noticed him, and certainly no passerby recognized who he was. He looked up and saw me staring and responding with a great big smile, a wink, and then he took off jogging. I was so taken aback, I left the tour group and ran after him. The president was running toward the same gate we had entered, and as I caught up to him, I saw a sniper on the roof of an academic building taking aim at Obama. Immediately, I yelled, Mr. President, get down, and I tackled him to the ground, covering him with my body. I could feel the pelting of bullets on my back, and I thought I was going to die. But soon I found that the bullets were bouncing off my skin and caused no injury. When I saw the threat was inert, I got up and said, Mr. President, follow me, and he looked at me with the same response as before, big smile and a wink, and said, let's go. I ran as fast as I could, and he kept right up. He kept right with me. We ducked into an alley between two abandoned buildings. I found an unlocked door and led the president up to a third-story room with an open window looking down on the street below. I said to him, I think you'll be safer here now, to which he replied with the same grin, Thank you. Then I woke up. Now, I've followed this same progression with this dream, but I haven't gotten any clarity on it yet. I've written it down, shared it with some confidants, but no meaning has emerged. So I hang on to it because it's obviously for another time. Who knows? Somebody listening to this might have some insight for me. Now, these are two examples of dreams and visions and how I use them to my advantage. Even though the story of the president does not appear clear right now, I don't need resolution yet. It's not necessary yet. 
There's beauty in the mystery of waiting for the answer. As always, I hope my story can give you insight into your own. My goal isn't to defend or prove that dreams and visions are real. To me, the proof is in the experience. And some some of you, this is affirming what you already know and have encountered. And I'm just serving as a voice of permission to encourage you to take your dreams and visions seriously. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. 